0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, my prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at Morning,
1: church. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, brother. Beginning with uh, verse 22. And we're going to go into chapter 2 as far as verse 10 this morning. Last week, Pastor Bill and our study of 1 Peter uh, helped us understand how Peter was addressing believers in the early church of Asia Minor. And how he instructed the church to strive to be holy and not to conform uh, to their old ways. This first letter was written in a time where the church was beginning to feel the flames of persecution and rejection and hostile environments. And it was uh, probably written and directed to different pockets of people, uh, clusters of believers who had scattered in various different cities. This letter is a call to holiness, if you will, even in troubled times and a recognition that sometimes even suffering can be a gift from God. So despite suffering, despite discrimination and ridicule and rejection, the path of holiness can sometimes move us into the acceptance of our pain and an awareness that suffering can be a gift from God. As we read today's text, you're going to notice probably at least three things that we're going to focus on today. First of all, the charge for the church to love one another. Brotherly love, we call it. And second, we <clears throat> we're to, to crave and desire God's Word. And then thirdly, we're going to unpack what it's about to be a living stone. We're to be living stones being built to be a holy and royal priesthood. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Since you have pur- purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this Word is the Gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but... For the unbelieving the stone that the builders rejected this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over they stumble because they disobey the word they were destined for this but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his possession divided and sometimes it even looks like they're almost at war with each other and there's a desperate need, I think you'll agree, for spiritual unity in the church today. Some of us sitting here today, including me, have received some of their deepest hurts and wounds from those inside the church. But with that said, that's not an excuse for us to bail on our faith. It's not an excuse to put the victim sign on our face and say, I'm going to stop Christianity get back up and get back into the game if that's happened to you because the church needs you you are a stone in the spiritual house that is needed by the church we are to endure and strive for holiness in unity you see peter used two different words for love the one is where we get our word philadelphia which is brotherly love. And then there's agape, which is this God-like, unconditional, sacrificial love. It's important that we share both kinds of love with each other. We share brotherly love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we have that in common and that likeness. But we share agape love because we belong to God and therefore can overlook our differences and learn to mesh together and have unity see, the characteristic of any Christian church or community should be love that is enduring for one another. And that love should not be extinguished, especially in times of persecution. So when the times get tougher, the love should even be seen as stronger. It's that type of love that is willing to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of another brother or sister. A love that makes one treat others kindly. A love that has no room for envy in the heart. A love that is not jealous of one another. A love that keeps one from boasting and bragging about themselves. It's a love that keeps one from seeking only their own rights. A love that keeps one from becoming angry or causing evil. It's a love that rejoices in the truth and bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. This is the kind of love which God says one Christian should have for another. Now, in reality, by nature, we know we are all selfish. But God purified our souls, Scripture says, and He poured His love into us. And we are all in need of repair, restoration, and reformation this side of heaven. Peter said we are to be obedient children who are no longer wanting to live out in the selfish desires of our old ways and our old life. The thing that was causing some of these early Christians to revert back to their former worldly ways was their failure to obey the Word of God. And so their heart had become sinful. They started preferring to go back to their sinful companions that they hung out with before rather than being in community with fellow Christians. But when they started to obey the Word again, their souls were purified. And they began to have that fondness and affection again for Christian relationships that should be normal for those who are living in obedience to His Word. And as a result, the love that comes out of believers like that, it's obvious that it's coming from their heart. Our text says that we are born again with imperishable seed, which is the living and enduring Word of God. Verse 24 and 25 emphasizes the difference here between that which is temporary and fragile to that which endures. And Peter alludes to a verse in Isaiah 40, in verse 8, because he says the church needs to hear this because they're going to be persecuted and rejected for their hope in Christ. He talks about the grass and the flowers withering and falling away. You know, this time of year, I mean, yesterday was like the ideal day outside, right? Wasn't it amazing? Those of you who have flowers and gardens started and things like that, you know, there's things blooming everywhere, right? And the grass is like the perfect green right now after all the rain and the sun now coming out finally and warming it up. And it's absolutely gorgeous here in our area during this time of the year. But come fall, come winter, it's going to fade, it's going to wither, it's going to fall away. So will those who persecute you. So will those who reject you. Oh, they might look strong and beautiful and healthy right now, but they're going to fall away one day because the Word of the Lord endures forever. The early church needed to know, and we need to know today, that the Word of God will withstand any trial and any test that you're going through. It will not change. It will not fade away. It will not lose its power because God's Word in the Gospel is eternal. And church, when we read the Bible, let's, let's try to read it with an attitude uh, towards Obedience. And what I mean by that is, as, uh, and we teach this in, in training for groups, uh, D groups, and life groups, and so forth. As you engage God's Word, ask God some questions as you're reading the Word. Ask questions maybe similar to this God, what are you saying to me today? What are you asking me to do? Maybe what do I need to change about the way I'm thinking or acting? Is there a sin I need to confess? Is there a promise I need to believe? Is there an action that I need to avoid? Is there a command I need to obey? And possibly is there an example I need to follow? Peter then in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he directs the church to rid themselves of actions and behaviors such as malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, in our culture, we don't use the word malice a whole lot anymore, but it's basically any kind of evil or any kind of wickedness. Deceit—you're probably familiar with that one. It—it uh, it actually means to catch with bait. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's kind of like setting the mouse trap with cheese or peanut butter or something to to lure the mouse, right? The enemy does the same thing. He sets out bait for us that attracts us and appeals to our senses and lures us into his traps. Hypocrisy. You know what that one is too. Where the true person is hidden. They're hiding behind a mask, or perhaps they're hiding behind a computer screen. Pretending to be someone or something that they are not. Then there's envy. Jealousy of others what they have what they do basically lacking contentment and slander where one attempts to tear down one's character or makes false accusations against you to destroy your credibility Peter says get rid of all these things and he was talking to the church instead of acting in this way as believers we should be desiring something else this time of the year, um, those who love to clean the house, you really get busy, don't you? We call it spring cleaning, right? Maybe you had to do it to obey your parents or maybe you did it to impress a visitor or you just simply are doing spring cleaning. How did you feel that way after you finished that cleaning? Did you feel good about it? Right? A couple head shakes. How do you feel when you get rid of some junk that you no longer needed? It's like refreshing, Right? Well, much like our homes, our spiritual lives also require times of spring cleaning. For the sake of holiness, there are items that have gotten collected in our hearts that have to be thrown out to make room for new desires and new habits in pursuing Christ. We need an appetite for godliness. Is this is not some one-time shedding of these things. Peter's not saying do this once and we're good. He's he's warning us to continually put away and rid ourselves of these things. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, all these type of things will just eat you alive inside and they will tear at the very fabric that holds a church together relationally. And Peter says we're not going to tolerate it in the church. And neither should we in our culture today. That leads us to the second point, which is to crave or desire the Word of God. Pursuing holiness is not merely about changing one's behavior. It requires an internal change first in terms of our desires, the things that we love. Holiness is not simply about what we avoid or flee. It's also about what we pursue. And Peter makes it clear in chapter 2 and verse 2 that Christians ought to crave pure spiritual milk, it says, in the same way that newborn children depend on milk for their own substance. You see, sin in our lives destroys the appetite for the Word. The Christian who tries to find satisfaction in the things of this world has no appetite left for the things of God. Because he's drifted. His heart is filled with the former now and has no room for the the new life. A spiritually healthy Christian should be a hungry Christian craving the Word of God. Strong desires and affections to the Word are a sure evidence of a person being born again. Because the Word of God, when it's rightly used and rightly examined, does not leave a person as it finds him But rather, it improves and makes him or her better. So, we are to crave and desire this word like a newborn baby desires and craves their mother's milk. So, we can grow up into our salvation. That's why we're given that instruction. We are to become mature, not stay as an infant in our faith. And the way we do that is to dig into the word and engage the word, obey its truth while we're in our groups for accountability and authentic biblical community together. So as a newborn, some of you moms in here can attest that your your infant wanted to be fed every couple hours, and some of you have said every hour and a half. <laughs> it's exhausting, right, for the mom. But as that baby feeds, it grows and begins to mature to a point where it begins to eat solid food on its own. And we are much the same as believers. Peter is directing the scattered church to get back into the Word and desire it and crave it again. How is that coming across to you this morning? Do you, do you get up in the morning craving the Word? Do you really desire to hear from the Lord to start your day? Or do we really think that we can sustain ourselves throughout the day on our own nourishment and strength? <laughs> Good luck with that, right? I've I shared in the other services that uh, several years ago now, I've, I made a fresh commitment to get up an hour earlier than I normally was doing just so I could be alone with God before all the busyness and all the noise and all the... Phone calls and texts and emails and all that stuff. I didn't really want to lose another hour of sleep, but I'm glad I did it. And I've been in a pattern for years now doing it, because I, you know, by the time seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock meetings and all that stuff in the evening come, I still got something left because of that hour I had with God. I can't imagine going through a pastor's day or even your day, you know, without that. Because once you have tasted of the Word and seen that it is good, you should desire that you want more of that. Do you strongly desire to read the Word? Or do you you feel you have to read the Word as if you're checking off some kind of spiritual box in your to-do list? Because it's a big difference of wanting to do it and having to do it. Desiring pure milk, it says, not, not a watered-down substitute milk. Not some contaminated sour milk that makes you sick, but pure, unadulterated milk. Because we are sanctified by God through the mind from the truth of the Word that is proclaimed to us. And it's essential to our salvation. And just in case there's somebody here, and there has been in all the other services too, if you don't like milk, right now you're like, I'm having a hard time relating to this, brother, because I can't stand milk, right? There's people out there I know, that are saying that. I see your smiles. So maybe some of you were old enough to remember the old potato chip commercial, bet you can't eat just one, right? They were right, because you can't just eat one potato chip. We devour half the bag. Or for me, it's peanuts, right? <laughs> whatever. So to help you out, whatever your favorite snack or your favorite food is that you crave, that right now you're like, man, I wish I had some with right now, right? Whatever that is, desire the Word as much as that or more and you'll get my point, all right? And then our, our third point today is found in verses 5-10. through 10. We are living stones being built to be a holy and royal priesthood. Christians are both the spiritual temple and the priest of the temple now. There's two Greek words for the word temple. One of them is explaining the whole building, including the courts where the sacrifices were made. And then there's another word that describes the inner shrine where God manifested Himself and where in the holiest place the blood of the sacrifice was presented before God. You see, all believers are not merely ministers or priests, but we are also now the dwelling place of God because His Spirit lives within us. And I love what Warren Wiersbe explains about the early church. He says, in his first mention of the church, Jesus compared it to a building when He said, "I will build my church." Believers are living stones in His building. Now check this out. Each time someone trusts Christ, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and cemented by grace into the building. It may look to us at times like the church on earth is a pile of rubble and ruins, but God sees the total structure as it grows. What a privilege we have to be part of His church and inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Wow. What a great description of the church. Peter wrote this letter to believers and they were living in like five different provinces. As I said before, they were scattered. Yet he said they were all belonging to one spiritual house. There's this unity of God's people that transcends any local or individual assembly and fellowship. Because we belong to each other because we belong to Christ. Back in the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood, but today God's people are a priesthood. Each one of you as an individual believer in the Lord has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. And it's important to realize that unity does not eliminate diversity. Think about it. Not all children in your family are alike, right? Neither are all the stones in a building identical. In fact, it is diversity that gives beauty and richness to a family or to a building. And the absence of diversity is not unity, it is uniformity. You know, in the in the first service, the choir had a special, so whether it's the choir speak, uh, singing a song in unison, or whether the worship team is singing all the melody, it creates a beautiful praise given to God. But man, when they break out in harmony in parts, it's a beautiful example of both diversity and unity coming together as one voice. Verse 5 says we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. You're like, well, wait a minute. I didn't think we had to do that anymore. (laughs) right? Well, I'm kind of glad we don't. You know, we don't have to bring animal sacrifices anymore. I'm so glad you didn't bring the goats and the lambs in (laughs) because I would be up here slaughtering. It would be a mess. You know, thank you for not doing that. But it says we're still to offer spiritual sacrifices. So, what does that look like in our day and time? Well, first of all, we are to give our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice, Paul says in Romans 12. As well as the praise from our lips, Hebrews 13 says that, and the good works that we do for others, Hebrews 13:16. How about the money and other material things, our tithe and so forth, that we share with others in God's service? That's a spiritual sacrifice. Even the people we um, are allowed to help win to Christ are sacrifices for His glory, not ours, according to Romans 15:16. So we offer these sacrifices through Jesus Christ, for only then are they acceptable with God. Because if we do it for our own pleasure and glory, it's not a spiritual sacrifice. We've already got our reward. In verses 5 and verses 9, speaking of royal priesthood, these are the key verses that Martin Luther, way back when, stood on to maintain that all Christians are a priest. And because of God's grace, He is building this royal priesthood one stone at a time. Your life as a believer is one of those living stones. A part of a spiritual foundation of which Jesus is the cornerstone. And we see in verse 7 that this cornerstone was rejected. And we are living stones that have living hope now. And as this stone is beautiful and precious in God's sight, so are we as believers to be a holy people, sharing in the Lord's inheritance and in His honor and in His blessing. We're adopted into His family. But to those who reject Christ, He is a stone to stumble over. And verse 8 says, because they disobey the Word. Jesus was rejected by people chosen by God. And we too will be rejected. But we must look beyond our rejection just like Christ did. We must see the final chapter and keep our eyes on the hope that we have in Christ for eternity. Because we know who wins, right? Come on church, we know who wins this battle, right? So even if it looks hopeless at times, even if it's like, oh man, I lost another freedom or another right today, or now they want the church to stop talking about this, whatever that is, we know who wins. So don't give up hope. I might be a little weird because of my love for sports. <laughs> I DVR a lot of the games I watch because I just refuse to let their schedule you know, dictate my schedule. So I'll watch it when I want. But... The downside of that is a lot of times I know if my team wins or loses, you know, and, but I still watch it most of the time. Now, if they lose, I probably delete it, you know, saves me more time. Um, but I do still enjoy watching the game. And so if I'm down by a couple runs or uh, a couple touchdowns, I don't, I'm not anxious about it. It's like, it's going to be okay because I know who wins. I just sit back and enjoy, right? Fast forward the commercials. It's awesome. Well, Um, You know, our changing culture affects sometimes what we do as a church, where we go as a church. We don't do the same thing every year just because we did it last year because things in our culture might change. But it cannot define or change our mission. Because if it does, the church becomes lethargic and ineffective. So as we learn to love one another, and as we learn to stay on mission, we have to constantly battle the other things that are coming to us. Different obstacles. And I think one of the greatest obstacles to churches and to even our own spiritual development today is that we, quite frankly, are just too busy. If, if we keep in constant motion, running here, running there, if, if the enemy can push us to be driven by wanting and needing more, if we're constantly online and never putting the gadgets down, the enemy's going to be satisfied where he has us with that because we don't have any time left for kingdom work. Or we don't have time to just be still and listen to what God is telling us. Richard Foster years ago in a classic book called Celebration of Discipline said it this way, he said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And D.F. Wells says the Gospel is the message of Christ's salvation. And the church is its most important corporate expression of that. The Gospel that created the church should be modeled by the church. So as living stones, as Scripture says, being built to a holy priesthood, we offer our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, it talks about this stumbling block, this, this rock that unbelievers are stumbling over, tripping over, because they refuse to trust and obey Him. It's not some unintentional stumble like when we wake up and oh, we stub the bedpost, or we hit a rock in the ground and we fall. No, it's, it's not an unintentional thing. Peter's saying they were stumbling because of their own rebellion and not wanting to come to Christ because they were disobeying the Word. And he even goes one step further into our theology by saying they were destined for this. This is a glimpse again of God's sovereignty over it all. Because God still reigns even over those who oppose Him. And Paul is describing the church as this building or structure that's founded on Christ as the cornerstone. He quotes Isaiah and Psalm in this passage to show that Christ was this foundational stone for believers and a rock which calls tripping for those who do not believe. And then he even draws from Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and Hosea 2.23 to portray believers as this select nation reflecting the glories of God. God gave His mercy to those who previously never belonged to anyone. And as he closes uh, out verses 9 and 10, we see him making a final point about our identity in Christ. He says that we've been transformed into this new people for a specific purpose. And what it says in these verses is so that we can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Through Christ, we've received the mercy of God. And it's brought us into this family as an adopted child of God. Giving us the opportunity to participate in the expansion of God's kingdom. What an awesome, awesome invitation and responsibility the church has. The church should be united because of love and the world should see a difference because of the way we live. And compared to those who do not know Christ, our lives should look different because we have a new identity. Not that we run around displaying that in an arrogant fashion. Rather, our new identities should be lived out in a way that reflects the love that God has shown to us. As He is patient with us, oh man, is He not patient, right? As He is patient with us, so we should be patient with others. As He continues to show grace and mercy to us, we should extend grace and mercy to those who do not embrace His truth yet. We have been called through Christ into the greatest story the world has ever known. That of God's redemptive work. Let's not take that lightly, church. But remember, it doesn't just depend on you. We have to do this together. God is looking for the faithful, not the perfect. So stop trying to be perfect and work on being faithful. He's drawing you into a spiritual maturity through His Holy Spirit. We're going to pause there this week and in the following weeks, we're going to learn more about what it looks like not only to live within the church with love to one another, but how we love outside the church into the world. Loving those around us who do not yet believe and that are very different than us. And next week, I'm so excited. I know Pastor Matt's promoted it at the beginning of the service, but you're not going to want to miss next Sunday's message. I've heard a preview of what uh, Brandon Johnson and Miles are going to share, and you're you're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be an awesome message to hear. So as the worship team comes forward, let me give you um, three quick gospel responses this morning, then I'll pray for us. They're pretty basic based on the message I gave you this morning, but there are things that maybe you want to discuss in your groups and really work on. Number one, how are you showing love? to your Christian brothers and sisters? Are you extending grace and mercy? Are you showing love in your differences? And secondly, are you craving God's Word? Craving it like that baby is craving mama's milk. And thirdly, what are you offering God as your spiritual sacrifice? What are you giving to Him? Are you surrendered to Him? And if it's anybody here that does not know the Lord Jesus, the simple Gospel is that Jesus loves you. He sent His Son to die for you on a cross for your sins. He was buried and the third day He arose. And the Lord Jesus promises to come back for His church. And you can be adopted into this family of God. If you're outside of that family right now, I'd love to talk to you about it. Pastor Matt or Pastor Bill is available. Or some sitting in the chairs beside you can help you as well. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask as a church that we will love one another well and that we will be as one, a church united. And though each of us is different than the other, Father, may we love like Christ loves us. Would you help us to crave the feeding on your word? And Lord, to be willing to offer up ourselves in total surrender. As a spiritual sacrifice unto you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Let's continue the worship this morning.
0: I'll see Send the darkness running.
1: And light it up. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your day. Glad you're here today.
0: You have any questions about the sermon, or would like to know more about following after Jesus? uh, Please contact us, and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.